I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the, the Flight Safety, Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host, John, has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and go-team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our podcast talking today about the coronavirus and all pieces and aspects of it that we can pull people together to talk about and try to educate all of our aviation friends on on what we need to do. With that, we have a second guest today, and uh, I'll let Greg, you can introduce our, our guest for this segment. With regard to this being part two, we want to make sure that, at least with the listening audience, they get a good understanding of the challenges that are going to be faced, not only by the aviation industry, but of course by all transportation and even society. And with that being said, today we have Dr. Joe Kravitz on the line with us to give a perspective. Now, I will give you uh, a little bit of background because Dr. Kravitz is my dentist. And you're thinking, well, what does a dentist have to do with what we're talking about? He's also a scientist. He's an inventor. And he's got a very good perspective. And when it comes to facing down viruses and bacteria and fungi, he does that on a daily basis in his practice as a dentist. And so with regard to the coronavirus, he is still practicing dentistry because it is an essential service. He does provide emergency medical services from a dental perspective. And so he and his staff must be protected from the coronavirus since he's exposed to people that he doesn't know are carriers or even could be a carrier, but they don't know it. And so I wanted to get a different scientific perspective to give the audience a definite perspective of how this virus works, some of the aspects of this virus, and then, of course, some of the misnomers about the disinfectants and the techniques that are being publicized that are believed or at least perceived to be the killer of the virus so that we can return at least the airlines and transportation and society back to normal. So welcome to the show, Dr. Kravitz. I'm glad that uh, I was able to track you down in your busy schedule. So always looking forward to having a conversation with you. Yeah, thank you for having me, gentlemen. And I appreciate being here. Anything I can do to help. Well, I think the the first thing, Joe, is trying to educate. One of the we had a guest on earlier. We we're talking about the coronavirus. She was giving us an idea about how they provide consulting services to the airports and from an engineering standpoint. But they've also been trying to discuss how 
cleaning crews are going to attack this virus with disinfectants and proper cleaning methods and, and that kind of stuff. And one of the big issues, Joe, is that you are exposed to a lot of bad stuff every single day in your practice. And as long as I've known you, I've never seen you sick, given the fact that, you know, you got people that come in that may have the flu, a cold or, or something else. I've never seen you sick. So what is it about what you do and what you, you have your staff do that keeps you protected? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Greg. And I know the first week of dental school, you know, I went to the University of Maryland. I went to NYU. And what they teach there and in a lot of medical schools is something called universal precautions. And what does that mean? The universal precautions mean that you treat everyone as if they are sick. So we are always protecting ourselves from bacteria, from viruses, from fungi that are in the mouth and around the mouth. The mouth is one of the dirtiest places on earth and in the body. And my face and my staff's faces are right next to the patient's mouth. And we're drilling, we're breathing in, and we're taking out diseases and infections of, of the mouth. And our face is right next to it because we have to see what we're doing. And I've been doing it for over 20 years. And not one day have I ever been afraid of treating a patient because I've always felt safe. And so the way that you do it, well, in my field, is we wear masks, we wear goggles, we wear gloves. We don't work without gloves. We don't, we don't use the same gloves going from room to room in a patient. I know there was a study a number of years ago that showed the number one reason for dying in a hospital is something that you didn't come in with. It's called nosocomial infections. So you go to a hospital and you're getting germs from other patients because people weren't washing their hands between patients. Well, we've always been washing our hands between patients. I mean, and I'm kind of like a germaphobe, John and Greg, and, and I can't stand germs. But yet, I mean, at least 10 percent, some studies even say up to 50 percent of the cells in our body are non-human. So there are good germs and there's bad germs. And when you look at the environment that you're working in, one of the big questions for the airline industry is trying to attract passengers back to the airlines. But the only way they're going to do that is to be able to give them a high level of confidence that whatever they've done to disinfect their aircraft, when these passengers get on the airplane with nothing, they want to be assured that they're getting off that airplane with nothing similar to going into your office when i come in to see you i mean yeah you're going to take care of whatever my dental problem is but the last thing i want is coming out of there with something that i didn't go in with and i know that there's a lot of discussion a lot of companies now are coming up with these different technologies and techniques to supposedly disinfect all of the surfaces so that this coronavirus isn't transmitted because we know that through, you know, all sorts of media publications and some of the research, the virus either sits on a table for 30 minutes or 17 hours or 17 days. There sure. is, um, what's your understanding of this virus, how it works, and, and how some of these disinfectant techniques would work? Well, let me explain the uh, difference, first of all, between a disinfectant and sterilizing. Sterilizing, when we have instruments that go inside the mouth, we run them through a machine called an ultraclave, which uses steam and pressure and heat to kill anything that's in there, including spores for tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, any disease that would have germs associated with it that has a virus associated with it, bacteria, fungi. It kills it. Now. 
You can't run an airline cabin through an autoclave every day. You're going to melt everything. If you put that high heat in there and steam is going to sh- shrink the fabrics, if there's humans in it, you know, their flesh is going to melt off. So, so how does someone like me or my family or you or anyone else travel inside an aircraft and feel safe? Well, first of all, let me just share the news is that bacteria, viruses and funguses are never going away. They've been on Earth for eons and they're never going away. So how do we coexist with it? How do we live? We need good germs, but we want to keep out the bad germs. It's a tricky situation. Well, in my dental office, I'm able to do that by wearing masks and gloves and washing my hands and keeping goggles on my eyes. And I don't transfer things from room to room, from person to person. When you're sitting next to someone on an airplane, and what if someone sneezes? What if someone has a cold? What if someone has the flu? Well, they've had it. They've been on the airplane for years. And how do they do that? Well, different systems of people trying to come up with ways to make the air cabin safer whether they put whether they spray ozone in there or some kind of pesticide or some kind of disinfectant. So in medical school, you know, we're taught above all, do no harm. So what do you want to do? You want to kill the bad stuff, but don't harm one human cell. Well, if you're spraying toxins in, like say I walked into my dental room and say one of the ideas was a pesticide. Let me spray my dental surgical suite, which is supposed to be clean with the pesticide. Well, we have things called consent forms. So we list all the risks, the benefits, and the costs associated with stuff like that. Well, if I put on a consent form before I place the dental implant, I promise to spray a pesticide in your sterile surgical suite to kill the germs, but then you're going to potentially get cancer or COPD or asthma or a heart attack or whatever the systemic disease, the complication of it. I, I can pretty much guarantee that almost nobody would sign that unless it was life or death. Yeah, as much as you're my friend and I love you, I wouldn't be in that office. <laughs> no. Just like if I sprayed ozone in here. Ozone causes respiratory problems and causes more breathing problems. So people are trying to come up with good ideas. Just they haven't found the idea yet that kills the bad stuff and doesn't harm someone that is going to use it next. So in our room, like we're able to cover up everything that the patient sits on, so it's all fresh in between patients. That's very difficult to do on an aircraft. I sit on an aircraft, and I'm kind of a germaphobe. Man, if someone sneezes, I am pulling my shirt up over my nose. I go to the restroom. I'm like, well, I don't know if someone just sneezed in the restroom, and I just went in there and say it's flu season. So the same goes for COVID-19. So this is not the end of disease or pathogens. So systems can be created and will be created. There's a lot of smart people in this country, in the world, and someone's going to come up with something. So when we look at it, there's two parts to this, Joe. Of course, the majority of the the media and, of course, the research and and studying of the COVID-19 virus has said that, yeah, if somebody sneezes or coughs, you know, you got this basic six-foot circle around you. Whatever the droplets are that come out of your nose or your mouth are, are going to be airborne for a little while, but then they're going to project to the ground, and, and that's where they will be. With regard to being airborne, there is a debate whether or not this virus stays in an atomized part of your spit or your sneeze or whatever, and stays airborne for some period of time. And and John and I were talking with our previous guest 
that, well, you got air vents on airplanes. So, yeah, that six-foot rule doesn't work anymore because if I got the air vent open and I cough or I sneeze, now it's going to blow at 20 feet or 25 feet, not just the six feet. True. And, and so the two parts that I uh, want to address is on the surface, what do we need to do to ensure that the, the virus on some surface is killed? And then is there a concern and is there a way to clean the air, purify the air or kill the virus in the air as well through a circulation system such as an HVAC or on the airplane, the environmental system? Well, I can talk about my dental office. So since this has happened, because I want my patients to feel better about things and I want my staff and myself to feel safer, you know, there's always aerosols around them. I'm using a drill. It's like a sneeze all the time. Just, just stuff is blasted everywhere. But because we have a mask, goggles and um, gloves, like we don't transfer it to ourselves. Now, so I've installed and I am working on an air purification system for my office that doesn't make noise. It doesn't spew out any toxins, and I'm putting up uh, some name plaques tomorrow around these units so that the patient can see. So it builds their confidence in feeling safe in coming back to the dental office again. So it's not like dentistry is going away. It's not like air travel is going away. So something needs to be done, and it's also for the different types of surfaces. So in the dental office, there's different types of services, such as something hard, something fabric. Well, so is it on the airplane. So you have the seats. It has the woven fabric. It has maybe some leather or leather-like surfaces. It has plastic. And then you have the restroom. What happens when someone flushes in there and all yeah. the stuff is just blown up in the air? So something. So it's my belief that something can be done and something will be done that will make it way safer and will actually make the world better, in my opinion, because people are looking at that more now. And so for surface cleaning in your office, when you clean the surface in your office, are you going in there and fogging the office? Are you being methodical? Is your staff being methodical using some sort of non-toxic or minimally toxic type disinfectant to wipe down the surfaces? Not the tools that go in someone's mouth, but the general surface, the, the seat that I sit in or the countertop. Because I know that when I've been to see you and I think everybody who's ever been to the dentist you know, you give me some mouthwash, you tell me to swish. Next thing you know, I'm spitting into a bowl or the sink. And, and of course, that stuff goes everywhere. So what is it that you use to clean the surface? Well, well let me back up because you're bringing a good point. Every patient that comes in our house rinses out with a mouthwash to disinfect the mouth. Then we, so if something is of a respiratory disease nature, such as in past years, it was the flu or H1N1 or, or any other virus. I mean, I don't want to get sick. So I disinfect their mouth as much as it can disrupt 99.9% .9 of the pathogens. That's step one. So that it's not going. So maybe maybe a protocol could be that going on the airplane, they switch out with the mouthwash first. I don't know. You can't make people do things, but it could be an idea. But in my office, like what I disinfect my surfaces, I use a disinfectant that's approved by the EPA and by the CDC and OSHA. But here's the thing, it's toxic. So when a staff member uses it, they're supposed to wear eye protection gloves and a mask because if you leave it in the air and you breathe it in it can cause respiratory problems so we stopped spraying it and we started wiping so we don't spray it anymore so it's not splashed everywhere we wipe it down now the dental chair because it's leather we can't wipe it down so we cover it up with a sterile cover for every single patient the headrest cover has a sterile cover for every single patient 
So that's how we do it here. And so between patients, there are sterile tools, sterile covers, and the surfaces that we can't cover, we wipe down without a spray because we don't want to fog the room. And then the patient walks in and they're breathing in something and it's going to cause a respiratory distress from the toxin. And we don't know with these disinfectants and, you know, using, I've heard that one of the techniques is to uh, pump the cabin full of ozone. And I mean, from my understanding, very limited understanding of ozone, that too has adverse effects on a human just because it's ozone. Yeah, so there's two different ways that ozone can be used. So locally in the human body, like small surgical areas, treating infections with ozone has worked. It makes it heal quicker. It doesn't cause that much harm. But when you use it outside the body (laughs) and the passenger or the consumer or the patient say, I pumped my room with ozone to kill germs. So a lot of my patients are elderly, and they have a lot of systemic diseases, sometimes two, three, sometimes 18 systemic diseases, and I'm treating somebody. If I pumped ozone into a room, they would go into respiratory distress. They would have difficulty breathing, and I'd have to call 911. So I don't use something like that, like the ozone dispensers like they sell to purify the air because it's only good locally for surgical wounds and things of the like like that, where there's a doctor or a nurse or a dentist that's treating something locally. Systemically, something like that would cause systemic complications, and somebody could have to go to the hospital just because of the environment, not even the treatment. Now, one of the other techniques that I've been reading about is using negative ions or positive ions, charging the air, if you will, to sterilize not only the air, but surfaces as well to try and kill this virus because of the negative and positive ions that are charged on a surface or sprayed on a surface and and that kind of stuff. Have you heard that? And can you explain that a little bit? Because I'm not, I mean, I know that everything is made of a negative and a positive, but I don't know how that would be very effective. Yeah. So, So, for example, like in the field of dentistry, there's positive and there's negative. So the bacterial cell wall, like one germ, one bacteria, the outer cell wall of that has a negative charge. A tooth has a positive charge. So the reason why plaque that causes cavities and gum disease sticks to the tooth so well is because of that attraction. So if you're pumping out positive ions, it's going to make the bacteria in the room stick to anywhere where there's germs, in my opinion, because it likes the positive charge. If you pump out the negative charge, it's going to make it repel. But the question I have is how on an atomic level or like an electron level, how do you control that charge? And how do you know that the interaction between different fabrics in a room is not changing that or even neutralizing it? (laughs) How do you know? Like, have you put a bunch of Petri dishes by a person and see if there's germs growing by them? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen the research on that. But in the field of dentistry, we have not used that system to kill germs because we haven't found it to be reliable. If we did, we'd be using it, in my opinion. And so when when we look at what's going on today, we're learning more every single day about COVID-19. My concern, especially on aircraft, whether it's a large commercial airliner, a business aircraft, or even in you know a private aircraft, a smaller one, what is going to be the most effective way to win back the confidence of passengers on a commercial airliner or a flight crew 
and give them a high level of understanding and confidence that when they get on that airplane, they're getting on with nothing, they're getting off with nothing. Do you see that in the future we're going to be able to use? Because I know right now, I mean, I was on an airplane three weeks ago when I actually came back to see you. You know, I was told, and I think we as passengers were told, oh, yeah, we're the airline is disinfecting. They have the cleaning crew come on and they wipe down the tables and they wipe down the seats and they wipe down the seat belts and that kind of stuff. But was that really disinfecting? Our previous guest was talking about the fact that some of these disinfectants need to stay in a wet state for some period of time to be effective to to kill the bacteria or the virus that uh, is being treated. True. And if you think about, that's a very good question, by the way. If you think about every one of those seats inside the cabin, that's like a different patient. Is the person cleaning it up using the same wipe or same material for every seat, and if so, they're just transferring and spreading the germs from one seat to another, from one human to another, because each one of those seats is like a patient. We don't use the same wipes in one room and clean all the surgical rooms with the same wipes. But that one room, we change gloves, we change masks, we change goggles, we change the PPE, so that so those materials aren't transferred. The complication on an aircraft, I say they're using wipes. They're just transferring it from they're just smearing it from one seat to another. I mean, I'd like to see research on that with uh, petri dishes, growing pathogens, treating it, and using the same wipe on all of them. I can pretty much uh, scientifically guess you would see germs in all the petri dishes. So it's an illusion of cleaning because I find that the people that are doing it maybe don't know that they're spreading it. Like, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. So I'm in Maryland, and we have a order through the governor that everybody has to wear masks when they go to a store. I went to a local grocery store. The person had one of those self-made masks. She had a drippy nose. She could go, and she kept on sniffling. Her mask didn't fit her face correctly. It kept sliding down over the nose, and her mask was wet. She had gloves on her hands, thinking that she's not transferring germs. She kept touching her nose and spreading it up and she's touching all my food and i freaked out with my wife like honey let's just leave the food here she was better off not wearing a mask because she wouldn't be normally touching her food between each item being scanned and going into my bags and then i'm bringing it into my house it wasn't like that before so the same goes on an air cabin in a dental office medical suite schools i think it takes an understanding of how it does spread and even when you disinfect it it's the illusion of disinfecting versus really truly disinfecting uh, on a medical grade level. So I believe that when we have a universal change, and I believe everybody's trying to help, everybody's trying to do the right thing, but going forward, if we have to wear masks, and and you can't prevent someone from touching a mask, and so they're going to be touching them. So putting it on their hands more than if they didn't wear the mask. And that's one of the reasons, as I understand it, that using soap, you know, it's better not to wear gloves, because, you know, you are getting that. So, yeah, you may think that you're protecting yourself, but you're taking whatever is on that glove and touching everything else versus I'm going to just constantly wash my hands because the soap itself breaks down the virus wall. I guess it's made of fat and, and the soap breaks it down. Or if I use a wipe with a high alcohol content, that breaks it down. But because we're not washing our hands or washing those gloves off, so all of a sudden now those gloves are attracting more and more virus and everything you touch, you spread it around. Right. It's my belief that hand washing, proper hand washing is better than using the 
like a hand sanitizer because when you wash, you can kill, but it also cleans it off and it rinses down the sink or wherever you are. If you have a garden hose, if you're out in the woods, you know, wherever, if you're in a creek. But the disinfectant, you leave all the dead virus, fungi, and bacteria on your hands, and then you're touching doors, so you got dead germs all over the place. And I'm like, I mean, as a germaphobe, I'm like, well, I don't want to be touching all that dead stuff all over the place. You're better off just washing your hands. What about Clorox, Joe? I see many, many people going around with Clorox wipes. Is that the same as a disinfectant, or is that different, and is it more effective or less effective? Well, here's the thing. Clorox will kill the germs. It's what percentage of the germs are killed. But the volatile gases that come off could cause some serious respiratory things. I'm going to share a personal family story, and my brother is probably going to kill me. But one time I worked at a Denny's when I was a teenager, and my brother mixed bleach with ammonia, and it caused a chemical reaction, and they had to shut down the restaurant because the fumes were so strong, they were so toxic. So my concern is if you're using something that if you breathe it in, it's going to cause respiratory distress. So if this is a respiratory disease, it comes in through the nose, the mouth, it can come in through the eyes, but it's mainly in through the nose and the mouth. And so Clorox will kill, but then what harm is it doing if your skin's touching it and then you're touching other things? That's my concern. And one of the big things that I've heard people, and we have family, friends that are doing this, and I've tried to educate them based on our discussion. But for the listeners, I know that people are trying to take Lysol and other chemicals to clean their, quote, mask, thinking, well, if the Lysol will kill stuff on a countertop, I'll just spray it on my mask because it'll clean it and kill whatever, and then I'll put the mask back on. Right, and I've heard that too, and I've talked to some of my friends about that as well because they wanted to disinfect their mask because there was a shortage. And I can understand you're trying to do whatever you can, especially if you can't get masks or face coverings and they're recommending them as a country or as a state. And there's just not enough materials. So, But if you spray Lysol, if you look at the can, it says wear a mask when you spray it. So if you're spraying your mask and you're supposed to wear a mask to protect yourself from breathing it into your lungs and then you're spraying it and you're putting it back on your face, you're going to cause some harm to your lung cells, to the cells in your throat, your mouth. It's going to cause some harm on a microscopic level, in my opinion, and a microscopic level. So, for instance, I've done uh, research over the years where, where you buy various human cells, you buy various pathogens, you test different chemicals on them to see if the human cells stay alive or they die or they're harmed or they're just injured. And it's amazing how many chemicals, when you put on a human cell, they die instantly. And you do that over and over, guess what that causes in the long term? It causes other diseases. That's my concern when we've been trying to understand how the airlines and or the manufacturer is going to regain the confidence of the public because using these disinfectants or using an ozone or or whatever that does have some cause and effect. And it may kill, it may be the solution today or this hour, but what's it going to do over the long term? I spend my life on an airplane. You know how much I travel and and I'm exposed all the time, as well as John and others, we're exposed all the time because we're on an airplane all the time. And if they're using these chemicals and I'm sitting in that environment and breathing it and touching it and, you know, putting my fingers to my mouth and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be COVID-19 that kills me. It's going to be 
the disinfectants and, and all of that stuff that's going to kill me. Yes, and by the way, it's just not a knock on Lysol. I love Lysol as a disinfectant. I've been using it for years. It's a very, very good disinfectant. It's not just meant to be sprayed by your nose, your eyes, or your mouth. It's meant for toilet seats, counters with a lot of germs on it. It's not meant to be by your nose and mouth. So when they're reusing masks, and they're trying to survive, but putting something on it that could potentially cause more harm may not be in that person's best interest. So in the field of science, since you are a, a research scientist in, in your practice and, and you've invented a number of different techniques and, and devices and that kind of thing. Going forward, and, and I mean, I know that one of the things that really interested me when we were talking is that what you tell your patients with regard to staying healthy, you've given them basically a plant-based type diet after you've done surgical work and things like that to reduce the bacteria and build up an immunity to a variety of things. Can you just explain that? Because I found that very interesting. Yes. So uh, what I recommend to my patients that after they get surgery, I mean, they want to heal quick. So say I'm taking out a tooth, putting in a dental implant, putting a tooth. People don't like pain. People don't like swelling. People don't like infections. People don't like the miswork. People don't like speech problems or, or aesthetic problems. So uh, what I found through the research and through my own practice is that if you switch to a plant-based diet, even on the short term. It's not like never eat meat, fish, or dairy again. But on the short term, if you want to heal quicker, eating a plant-based meal, especially dark green vegetables right after like a traumatic accident, say someone's having difficulty breathing out there now because they have a respiratory illness. If they can, of course, you want to run it through your physician. You want to clear it with them and make sure because we don't know their medical history. But in my practice, what I found is that if you switch to that, that it opens up your blood vessels. Like, for instance, every morning I drink a green shake. I take some spinach, I take some kale, throw it in a blender. I published on this before. You mix it with water, drink it down. I'm like, whoo! It's happy hour at 7 a.m. I, I am jumping up and down because my blood vessels just got a rush because they opened up. The oxygen comes in. I feel better. I think better. I'm more clear. You ever eat a big meal and you're kind of sluggish and you're sitting there like, oh, I feel like taking a nap. Well, that's because your blood vessels have uh, shortened in size and diameter. They have constricted and you have less oxygen. So, so that's why you feel that way. So if you're sick or you want to help prevent yourself from being sick in the short term or periodically throughout the rest of your life, you don't feel well. Eat more plants that day. Have two or three servings of them. And you can have them fresh. You can have them. I find berries are good. Uh, blackberry, raspberries, blueberries, uh, some of the seeds. Hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, you mix that in with it. It's a really good way to allow your body to stay healthier, to improve your immune system, and increase your chance of being healthy. The COVID-19 virus, I mean, we're learning about it more and more and more every single day. Some of its unique characteristics and, and that kind of thing. Just in your research, compared to an influenza virus or maybe even a you know some sort of bacteria, I mean, is this a very complex type virus that it's going to take a long time to try and find at least a vaccine for, or are there are there easy, simple ways that could be used to to kill this virus, both? in the human as well as on surfaces where it resides. 
Yes, well, there's a lot of smart people out there that are studying that in labs and through the CDC and NIH and all over the world. So I don't pretend to be an expert in that area. But from what I know about it, it's a very small diameter virus. So, for instance, if you wear the N95 mask, you know what 95 stands for? Uh, 95%. So it filters out 95% of germs. So the size of the virus is 0.12 microns. The pore size on an N95 mask is 0.3 microns. So the virus is smaller than the diameter on the mask. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get sick by wearing that mask. I'm saying that nothing does anything 100%. Okay. So in my opinion, it has to be something simple. It has to be something simple, non-toxic, doesn't harm the humans, doesn't and it doesn't ruin the surface that it's going to be cleaning. So if it's on the body, obviously you don't want to have your body sitting next to something that's toxic because it'll cause harm to your body. So I believe there is an answer. As far as the difference, coronavirus, uh, this version, comes from an animal and it's transferred to a human, so we don't have antibodies to it yet. Something like the flu, you can develop antibodies over time. Now, things mutate, they change, bacteria change, fungi change, and viruses change. So every year, there's going to be something new and changing, and that's evolution. But it's a matter of how do you coexist? So what I teach my patients to do, most people breathe through their mouth and their nose because the opening's bigger, especially if you're an athlete. Like my former track athletes, try running with your mouth closed very difficult because the diameter is small. So most of the air comes in through the mouth. And so first of all, if you can keep your mouth and your nose clean on a regular basis, then you can learn how to coexist with food that have pathogens in them, with drinks that have pathogens in them, with germs and surfaces. Well, there's a segue there. Yes. And and there's a segue because as we wrap up this segment, one thing that I wanted to, to ask you, and again, the fortunate thing about us being friends and, and the fact that you're my dentist and you counsel me on this all the time, is there, I mean, being a traveler, what can I do to protect my fellow traveler? I know I, I can wear a mask and, and do all of those things, but, uh, you know, one of the big things they've talked about is, you know, a percentage of alcohol kills this virus. Well, I haven't been drinking Jet A or drinking, you know, Moonshine, which has a high alcohol content. But is there anything that I can do as a preventative or at least a, a somewhat of a preventative with keeping my mouth clean since this is a virus that resides in your nose and your throat and that kind of thing before I get on an airplane or just being around my family or friends or anything else? Yeah, so as far as the research I did with my book I wrote, about 10 years ago, it's called Dirty Mouth. I found out that germs grow at, at the rate of 20 billion per hour in your mouth. 20 billion per hour. So before you go on an aircraft, I would recommend you brush your mouth. And it's not just your teeth. 5% of the germs are on your teeth. 95% are everywhere else. The roof of your mouth, your tongue, below your tongue, on the side of your cheeks, on the inside, and the inside of your lips. Clean that off. That's 95% of the germs. 5% are on the teeth. Whatever is left behind, rinse out with the with the good mouthwash that kills germs because you're going to reduce them. If you can get them down about 99%, that's a good situation. I also find if you can, if you can uh, uh, clean up in your nose, and there's different systems out there that there's a lavage, you can rinse it out, or you can put some zinc there. You have to watch if you take too much zinc, you can have balance problems. So you, have to, you just have to watch that. And obviously wash your hands. And then if you touch things, 
remember, don't put your hands to your nose or your mouth because then you're going to transfer them there. So if you go on an airplane, like if I'm on an airplane right now, so I wouldn't pick up the paper periodicals if people are uh, using them in between right now and just use your own. And then when you're sitting there, if someone sneezes, and if you don't have a mask on, what I've always done is I put my shirt up over my nose. CDC guidelines before were 30 seconds before the pathogens in the droplets would die. Now it's longer. So what I do is I keep a little bit of mouthwash with me. I'm going to share with you something personal. So I actually rim the inside of my nose with the mouthwash. So as I breathe the air, I am disinfecting it as it's going by temporarily, temporarily. In the restrooms on the airplane, I actually don't touch the buttons. I use a piece of paper and I wash my hands. I open the door with a paper towel and then I throw it in the trash can and then I close the door without using my hands. I just use my feet. Does that make sense, some of those things? Yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome because I have adopted a lot of those myself and, and for other reasons because they, they talked about influenza and H1N1 and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we've learned some of those, but I think now the awareness by people is so much greater because of the concern about how this virus is spread and, and things like that. And, and you kind of touched on it, and that is we've got a new normal now going forward. Are masks or social distancing going to be a norm in our society in everything we do going forward? And are we ever going to get back to where we're hanging out, sitting on a bar stool next to each other rather than six feet away? And so whatever we all can do, I think especially, and, and one of the things that I talked about on one of our previous shows is airport and airplane etiquette. We seem to have lost that. This lack of respect for personal space and and things like that. And I, I think that social distancing and, and the concern for this virus has at least brought a greater awareness to it. But you still have those folks out there that, they, that for whatever reason, they don't think that this is a problem. They invade your space. They cough and do whatever. They don't really care. I want to make sure that if I'm on an airplane and my seatmate is right there, that at least I'm doing everything I can to protect them, and hopefully they're doing everything they can to protect me. And that's, I think, going to be a challenge for each of us as, as individuals. But, of course, the airlines and the manufacturers are also going to have to try and do their part to build the confidence of people like me getting on an airplane who, right now, I'm healthy. last thing I want to do is get off that airplane and not be healthy. Sure. Sure. And I think that, you know, the confidence uh, right now, I mean, you turn on the TV everywhere you go and you're just looking at death counts and disease counts. And I understand that that's fearful and there's a lot to worry about. But how about the other diseases out there? How about car accidents? Several thousand people die per day of car accidents. And we don't necessarily shut the whole country down and stop driving until people learn how to drive better. Yeah. How about people that have heart attacks, obesity, people that are dying right now because they're locked at home? How about people that have opioid addictions and they're home and they're thinking about suicide and other things? So, I mean, it's all tied together and we will get through this. But I believe that I don't think we should be driven by fear. I should be, so I believe that we should be driven by faith and hope and focusing on the good things because there's always going to be germs. You're, you're always going to be end up flying. What are you going to walk everywhere? You're going to take a boat and then walk. You're going to take a train everywhere, a car. That's not practical. Yeah. So it's it's a matter of re-educating, coming up with a system 
that's safe, that's simple, that's non-toxic, and it's sold in the right way to the public, then they'll build their confidence over time. And if you show scientifically that that works, then you have a winner. You have to have the science behind it. And that's a perfect way to end this segment, Joe. I really appreciate it. One of the great things about having experts on is that, you know, you can provide and shed a level of expertise that uh, John and I think we have. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've known you for the better part of 20 years. I've always been impressed by everything I learned. And I'm thinking, this guy's a dentist. Why am I learning this from him? And Exactly. Uh, and, exactly. and my wife tells and, me that all the time. <laughs> but I, I think that for the benefit of our listeners, I think this has been an education because it's always an education for me. And I think that we're all going to have to work together to get through this. Like you said, it's just that we all are going to be a part of the solution. Not any one person or organization is the solution. It's going to take all of us to get back there and anything we can do medically through research and science like you've done and then come up with at least ideas so that we can be protective of one another and ourselves is uh, is a benefit in any way shape or form so one last thing is i'd like to uh, for your listeners just reflect upon something that each of us has a flaw each of us has something some we some people can can have a germophobia, some people can be shy, some people can have a disease. Well, I was born with stuttering, so I have a communication flaw. It's labeled as a disability with the U.S. government. And if we choose to let our flaws hold us back in life and the world, we're not going to progress and move forward. I suggest we embrace the flaw, go after it, attack it, and move forward. And don't be afraid. There is hope. There is help out there with people like you and John that bring your expert guests on. And I appreciate people like you trying to expose and developing and continuing the conversation to make this world better. And I thank you for that. Well, thank you, Joe. That means a lot coming from uh, you because, again, I, uh, I truly respect you. And this isn't a love in between you and me, but uh, I do appreciate your expertise um, just because you've taught me a lot. And I think that hopefully this discussion has taught our listeners some things about uh, this dreaded disease right now that, like you said, we have to embrace it. It's here. It, it, it's something that's not going to go away. And so we are going to have to to find the workarounds, find a way to defeat it. And we do it with a level of confidence instead of fear. So again, thank you very much for being on the show today. John, I'm going to let you uh, close out the show because you've been sitting there dutifully watching me ask all these questions. So I want to make sure that you have the final word. Well, it's been very, very educational. I've been sitting here taking a number of notes from what you have said. And I'm sure our listeners will be in the same position. It's a wealth of information. So thank you very much for being with us. And with that, I will say to our audiences, if you, if you like the show, email us, flightsafetydetectiveswithans.com. We're always looking for sponsors. So if you can help defray some of the cost of these programs, we greatly appreciate it. And with that, my friends, I will say fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. 
Thanks for listening.